Welcome to the Meaningful Marketplace. I'm Sarah Massoni from Oregon State University's Food Innovation Center, where I've helped countless dreamers launch their new food products. It's the science of taking a food delight from the kitchen to mass manufacturing and still keeping its great taste. That's what I do. I've been called the woman with the million dollar palate, although I haven't tried to cash that check yet. Listen in weekly for real life stories. Sarah Marshall, owner of Marshall's Hot Sauce and author of Preservation Pantry, modern canning from root to top and stem to core. I love inspiring business owners to get started on their journeys, encouraging folks to be part of their local community, and I'm excited to help business owners tell their stories. Join us as we explore the journeys of women entrepreneurs in the food and beverage industry. Marketed Choice is a proud sponsor of the Meaningful Marketplace because we believe in the power of local craft makers to reinvent the way food and beverage products get to market in Oregon. Our vision is to inspire, mentor, support, and assist local producers to reach their fullest potential. For over 40 years, Marketed Choice has been supporting our local farmers, ranchers, fisher folks, and entrepreneurs. We believe the way we source products has a positive ripple effect across our great state. That's why we're proud to offer over 7,000 local products to our stores and that the majority of our purchases support a robust regional food system. Thank you, Market of Choice. <laughs> we're loving Market of Choice out there, all of us local makers. They're still doing their thing during all of this. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Masonian Marshall, the Meaningful Marketplace. Thanks for joining us as we hear the stories of female food entrepreneurs. We're glad that you joined us live today. We're honoring our social distancing and each calling in for the show. As we're a live radio show, we think it's important for us to be here with stories of hope and inspiration for all of our food friends out there. This is Sarah Marshall, owner of Marshall's Hot Sauce. And Sarah Masoni of Oregon State University's Food Innovation Center. Sarah, I saw that you were doing these cool informational videos on, <laughs> <laughs> on the food innovation site. Tell us about them so we can have people watch them. Uh, so we're working with NASDA to put together a, um, well, actually, we have a grant with them from the federal government to help female farmers That's commercialize so food products. And so we're going through and recording all of our stuff that we kind of already have in the can and mm -hmm. making it into film. And so we had created a list of questions and I just turned on the video and started talking. So that's just shooting from the hip. And some of the times when you're listening to it, you're like, Okay, you shouldn't have said important right there, but we'll let it go. <laughs> <laughs> so I just put it up unedited. It's about 10 minutes of Sarahisms. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's great. I was wondering if you were going to keep doing them or if it was just like a one time. I actually, deal. I think I am. Um, what I'm going to do, I think, is have people give me lists of what information they want me to talk about. And then I'll just do little 10 minute like talks about stuff. Yeah. Just sort of barf up everything I know. So it's all <laughs> on film. <laughs> well, I think that's great. I think it'll help people out. Yeah. And then you, and then you can kind of send them there instead of each individual person coming to you. And so I'd rather you can, talk to people individually, but yeah. sometimes you just 
So when you're falling at trying to fall asleep at night, if you need to listen to somebody who talks very <laughs> quietly <laughs> without a lot of drama in their voice, you can turn me on. Yeah, it's meditative listening. You yeah. could be you could be one of those people that calmly chats with you to help you fall asleep. Yeah. Don't worry, your shipment will be on time. Remember th- to call your banker and request that loan. You'll be fine. They'll give it to you. I think I already have your voice running in my head is that in all the time. <laughs> Whenever I start <laughs> to stress out about something, I'm like, if Sarah was here, she would say, it's all going to be okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You just go with the punches, right? Yeah, totally. That's what we're doing in these times. Oh. So I do have some food news. Uh, just wanted to mention that Airbnb experiences are opening back up in Oregon this week. They had all been closed, but now they have um, new sets of rules and limitations and social distancing expectations and things like that. So a lot of local uh, makers and people have their experiences experiences posted back up. So you can go check those out at Airbnb experience. It's great to do local activities right now. I checked out all the things they have. They have everything from archery to hanging out with miniature horses. My canning classes are all back up there. So you can check it out. And then I also wanted to mention that if there's makers that are thinking about doing an experience, um, it's a good way to bring in some money and some attention to your brand. So if anybody has any questions about that, you can let me know and I can connect you to the Airbnb experience team. And if you have any food news for us uh, and want us to help spread the word, you can message us on Instagram, Masoni and Marshall. That seems to be the best way for people to do that. So just send us a message and we'll help spread the word. Sarah, do you have any food news before I introduce our guests? Um, nope. Okay. <laughs> we'll just get straight to it. <laughs> Let's do it. So we're super excited about our guest today. We are joined by Serafina. She's the owner of uh, It's a Boring Life and a Boring Life Cafe. Uh, they run a farm, create extraordinary products, to ha- all to help promote a relaxed lifestyle in boring Oregon. Welcome, Serafina. Uh, thank you for having me today. Yeah, thanks for joining us. We're so glad that you could. Uh, we want to help to tell your story and connect other makers to you. So what's the best way to connect with you online? Oh, um, I guess email. Um, is that okay to, sh- to share my email online? Sure. Yeah, or even just your uh, social media handles like your Instagram or... Oh, sure. Yeah, we're at A Boring Life Snacks um, on both Facebook and Instagram. Um, and we have our website is aboringlife.com. Perfect. So people can find you. So we want to walk through your journey so that people can understand how you got to be doing what you're doing. So my very first question is how you ended up in Boring, Oregon, because, you know, I grew up in that area. I grew up in Welch's on Mount Hood. And so you come down and go to school in Sandy and then other kids come from the other direction from Boring. And there's only one school in that area. Uh, But I was just wondering how you ended up there. Sure. So I'm going to have to back up a little bit uh, in our story. So A Boring Life is a joint venture between myself and my wife, Jennifer Johnson, who's a chef. Um, so my uh, my actual, uh, well, let's see. So I started my career in nonprofit management. I did that for 15 years, fundraising in particular. So I raised a lot of money for not a lot of nonprofit organizations, millions and millions of dollars. Then Jen and I got married. We had a kid. And we started 
a chicken nugget business. So we started Hip Chick Farms in January of 2013 <clears throat> uh, with the idea of uh, bringing healthy, humanely raised, organically certified chicken nuggets to the masses. Uh, and that's what we did for the next seven years. Um, so I started that business knowing nothing about the food industry. <laughs> Uh, it was it was quite a learning curve. I knew nothing about brokers or distributors or uh, date codes or UPCs. Nothing. I knew nothing. Um, and I went into a you know very male dominated industry, which is the meat industry. Um, and we had hockey stick growth. So we started in 2013, and by 2018, the company was sold. Uh, or actually. The uh, February of 2019. Uh, so we were in, we launched into over 18,000 points of distribution. I sold chicken nuggets on QVC. We were on TV. It was, it was a whole crazy chicken nugget experience. So we did all that. Um, Have you heard the chicken nuggets on? Oh, wait. Yeah. Oh, wait. Is it a chicken biscuit? I don't know. I think there <laughs> might be a chicken nugget song. I'm sure there is. If People you fanatical about chicken nuggets. If you remember it, Sarah, just bust out into tune. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna look it up. <laughs> Yeah, people love chicken nuggets. Um, so anyway, so we did all that and then we exited the company. So in 2018, uh, I stepped back as a CEO. We hired a new CEO and I continued on as the founder. Jen exited the co company completely uh, and I carried on as the founder for about a year um, and kind of being the face of the company, doing all the marketing and continuing to raise capital. And then... We moved, we decided to move. Um. <laughs> I think, I think Sarah found the chicken nugget song. Yes. <laughs> I there, told you. You were right. There is a chicken nugget song. <laughs> Just look on YouTube. There's All right, a chicken nugget song. Yeah. <laughs> so um, go, so you stayed on. Jen left. Yep. And then we decided to move to Oregon. Um, from we were living in Sebastopol in Northern California, so we decided to move up here to Oregon to be closer to my family. Our daughter's uh, was seven at the time, and we really wanted her growing up with her cousins and her grandma, all of that. So we made the move up here. Um, exited you know hip chicks was sold and then we bought this beautiful lavender farm in boring oregon uh just kind of accidentally that's where we landed and or it was close enough to my family and i took um i don't know almost a, six months for an entrepreneur if okay maybe it was three months but it felt like forever right <laughs> i took some time i took some time to decide what to do next because I was like, I'm never, you know, as soon as the company sold, I was like, I'm never doing this again. I'm going <laughs> to become an architect now. Or, you know, I had all of these new plans for, oh, no, that's what I was going to do. I was going to run, I was going to become an executive director of a senior citizen center. That was my oh, grand plan. That's a great idea. <laughs> so you no just challenges got, there. You got right back into it. <laughs> So anyway, so then I decided I could, anyway, but I, but I took some time to look, building a business and especially a fast growth business is hard. It's exhausting. It's, it's intense. 
you know, and it's, it's in a lot of ways, our story is this huge success story and another lot in a lot, a lot of other ways, it was incredibly heartbreaking and challenging and difficult. And it took me some time to like recover from that experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we, were- we have had a, f- a few guests on the show who have had businesses and sold them. And a lot of times that's kind of the thing that we hear is that, you know, you build this brand from, from nothing. And then, and then you think that sometimes selling it off is going to be the best thing, but it, it really is a heartbreaking experience because then, especially if you leave the company and you don't have anything to do with it anymore, it's like walking away from something that you put yourself into, you know? So it's really hard to do. Yeah. 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 And we raised a lot of capital very quickly. Mm -hmm. So advice to any of the founders on the call, um, do not, uh, pay attention to your gross margins or else you're going to have to raise a ton of capital. Yeah. Well, I I was just originally wondering how you ended up in Boring, but that's really how, is that you found a piece of land that was an existing lavender farm and you bought it. No, right? no, 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 no. I found a piece of land and I decided to become a lavender farmer in my spare time. So I planted a thousand lavender plants, only of which like 300 have survived. Uh, and then I, then that wasn't enough. So I started a boring life. So anyway, so then I decided I had gotten really kind of obsessed with CBD and CBD products. And the more that I learned about hemp as a plant and what it could do for our environment and our mental health and our physical health became more and more obsessed. And I was so far on the other spec side of the spectrum. Like I didn't believe in, um, I've never been a cannabis user, I'll say. Um, but I got really, really into hemp and I got, uh, I wanted to create a product line from hemp, you know, and I thought that with CBD. Um, so we ultimately, we decided like, I, I spent a lot, all this time thinking and ruminating about this idea of being bored and boring, right? Like, why is it so difficult for me to be quiet? Like, why is it so hard for me to just sit still? Um, and I was trying to think about like, how to like relax into that experience. Um, I'm very type A personality. I like to do a lot of things. I like to have a lot of uh, balls in the air simultaneously. And, um, and so I was trying to have a different experience of things is to like take it down a notch, calm down, um, experience the day more, experience life more, more quietly. And I found that CBD could help me with that and like take my anxiety down. Um, so we wanted to share that in a nutritious and wholesome and wellness product, really seeing hemp as a superfood. Well, let's talk about your products that have CBD in them so that our listeners know what they are. You want to tell people what it is that you make? Sure. Yeah. So we just make a a line of snacking nuts uh, that are infused with CBD with a full spectrum hemp extract. Um, So it's uh, lavender almonds, roasted almonds with lavender, sweet and spicy walnuts and a dark chocolate and sea salt. Uh, so it's a real, the, the proteins and the omega-3s are a great way to, for your body to incorporate CBD into your own cannabinoid system. Great source of protein, easy snacking, super delicious. Uh, so we launched with those three products first um, and take that out to the marketplace. I actually ended up going into a, a cannabis accelerator uh, called Canopy Boulder, which was fascinating because, you know, yeah, I built a food business, but I didn't know anything about cannabis. And it's, um, it's a complicated industry is what I would say. You know, there's from a regulatory perspective, from a sourcing perspective, and also from a, um, 
from professionalism, right? There's it's an industry that's been illegal for until very very recently. Um, so there's not a level of I would my experience is that there wasn't the same level of professionalism or standardization or regulation that we have in the food industry. Right. So there's a lot of room to grow, I think. And it's just, I think it's the cannabis is just cannabis and hemp is just at the very, very beginning. We're still in a regulatory gray area. Um, I think it has a lot of potential and opportunity, great margins, all that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it can be really, really difficult as well. Sarah Masoni, do you have a lot of people coming to the food innovation center that want to do products with CBD? So Oregon state university, is federally funded and so we can't actually do any work with cannabis oh yeah cbd we do have uh if you go on the osu website and you search for hemp Mm -hmm. there is sort of a hemp i don't know what we call ourselves coalition or something but we have people in many of the different departments that are sort of like the key individuals to contact and I'm in there. So I do get people contacting and asking questions and, um, but yeah, we're sadly, we can't work on it yet. Yeah. I was that when, when you brought that up, Serafina about, you know, there's not so many, there's not really guidelines for a lot of people. Cause I think even when we have people sometimes ask us like, Oh, I want to just put CBD in this, but there's a lot of things to think about. And even I noticed that your sourcing uh, for where you source from is very important to you. But I think some companies it's not really, and they kind of just do whatever and there's not a lot of guidelines. So if, if you had any advice for people that were going to use CBD, do you have any, any advice for them if they were going to put it into their products? Yeah. I mean, I would follow, what we do is, regardless of the lack of regulation, we follow uh, the regulation we've followed for any kind of food uh, safety. Yeah, extreme food safety. So we've, yeah. we we came from a background of USDA organic certification. So that's I I hold myself to that standard, right? To try and be as um, impeccable about my sourcing and my certification and my ingredients and my QA and QC tracking, all of those things, because I want those in place. Yeah. I think that's where the FDA is going to end up eventually. And so I'd rather have that all in place now than from a food safety perspective, period. Well, you listen, know? the Department of Agriculture has a lot of information and um, they're actually assisting people. For people. I think, yeah. Yeah, they're, so that's who um, certifies us, yeah. is ODA. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I noticed too that you guys make um, CBD treats for dogs. Yeah, we make a, a bacon-flavored gummy. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, I have I have a friend who recently just took her dog to a hotel and her dog was really stressed out because there was other dogs there. So is this the kind of thing that would come in handy for that type of situation? Yes. So I'm an absolute animal hoarder. And I, <laughs> I have test five. all your animals. Oh, we have you test your animals. food on the animals. Uh, well, I've, I've certainly tested the CBD gummies on our animals. Nice. (laughs) Actually, CBD is really good for horses too. Um, for the, we have a 30 year old Patron. So it's big, a very large horse who is over 30. Um, and it really helps with arthritis. And I have, so we have five dogs and, uh, one of them is just a total jerk. I love him, but he's just (laughs) bad. He was born bad. Anyway, the CBD just takes him down a notch. So he's not so, um, nippy. 
mm. is what I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm going to tell her about it then because I think it would be really good. Yeah. <laughs> she, yeah. Yeah. And then, and then she was so stressed out about the dog being, you know, yeah. on edge. So she probably could have used all of your products in that moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I really want you to talk about your cafe too, because, um, and I just want to tell people, so you guys deliver from the cafe and I've ordered stuff to my house, but I felt so guilty about you driving from boring to my house that I ordered pretty much everything that you sold, which is actually (laughs) really great because, because here I made a list of the things that I ended up with. So I ended up with CBD oil a plant for my mom, lunch for my family, gluten-free donuts for my neighbor. <laughs> and I bought a case of CBD walnut snacks that I give to everyone. <laughs> oh my God. Can you come back every day, please? <laughs> well, you-, I ha- you guys delivered it to my door. And I was like, I'm just going to order like one of everything. Cause I don't even know if the cafe is open. It was kind of at the start of all the, you know, COVID yeah. things shutting down. And I was like, sure. I want to support these women. And like, I'm going to buy all this stuff. And I was so stoked. <laughs> So for your Reuben sandwich, do you make your pastrami or your corned beef? No. Oh, shoot. Yeah. (laughs) But you do. So talk about the cafe and what kind of things that you offer there. Sure. So I, um, I will say that the, can I just finish? I have a couple more thoughts about the CBD product uh, for for other folks on the phone. So at the end of last year, the environment for launching, so I thought the CBD products would like launch into multiple stores across the country and we have a really good margin. I was so happy with it, blah, 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 easy peasy. Well, that's not, it did not go according to my plan. In fact, most uh, major retailers put the paw, put a major pause on CBD products and hemp products. So like, for example, we were approved at Sprouts, but then the Sprouts legal team decided that they needed to review their, um, you know, their legal before um, they decided to launch. So like, we're still on pause with Sprouts. Anyway, so then we decided to launch a a non-CBD product line. So we launched a line of honeys at the end of the year that's really based on this honey that my family in Montenegro makes. So it's honey infused with like dried fruits and nuts. It's super beautiful. It's unique. It's one of a kind. Sits at the cheese counter love the product. So we just started that. I launched it at the fancy food show in San Francisco in January and um, launched into DPI and then COVID hit. So that's been kind of slow going as well, but it's definitely picking up steam on that product line. Um, So we almost have three businesses in one, to be honest with you, right? So we have the CBD business, we have the honey business, and then we have the shop. So we got the shop as a production facility. We are self-producing on all of our products right now, which with Hipchick Farms, we never self-produced. We always co-packed, right? Um, And so self-production is so exciting to me from a quality perspective and from a cash flow perspective like it's a lot easier right because i don't have to i don't have to pay huge minimums uh, to order large quantities uh, that then get stored in frozen storage and the cash flow the cash flow the cash flow right it's obviously non-sustainable. So as we grow, we'll move into a co-pack environment. Um, but anyway, so we decided to get this uh, retail, this location where we could self-produce in the back and have a retail location in the front. Um, a little non-traditional um, in terms of like, like I said, having three businesses combined. But I will tell you that having the retail business is and the cafe is the most amazing 
demo on steroids. Like I get immediate customer feedback every single day and I get this base of super fans that we're utilizing as a, I mean, they know it. We're using them as marketing, right? To really spread the word and to build our brand in a way that like, I didn't want to raise $2 million to start this business. You know, I didn't even want to raise $500,000. We've raised, okay, we've, we've raised a bit, but um, <laughs> you can't get away from it. Um, but I wanted to try and do something like slower, more organically, more locally, um, instead of like with hip checks, we just, we, we started and then we launched into like multiple regions of whole foods in the first month. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so it's a really different way of going about it of like, kind of like shaking hands and kissing babies one by one, which is a different, it's more like the farmer's market method, which we'd never done before. So this is new to us. Yeah. I think it's really cool, especially for the area that you're in, because you're really providing something to that part of town that doesn't exist because you're right next to a lot of like basically like a strip mall of things that are chains. And then you're offering this really wonderful, you know, handmade product and food and gluten-free too. That's something that's really hard to find in that area of, um, you know, of Oregon. Yeah. So that's a whole nother, um, issue slash concern slash topic of conversation about, uh, Oregon's, um, demographics, I guess. It's probably not um, your target market. I think you make more money, more money selling it out of the region. Yeah. So it's, um, it's weird or, uh, okay. What should, how do I say this? <laughs> Oregon is like, you know, in California, your super conservative areas are really separate from your super progressive areas. And in Oregon, it's like they're right next to each other. And we're in the kind of the middle of one, mm-hmm, right? Yeah. We're like half super conservative, half super progressive, right? And what all goes along with that? So like, mm-hmm. we're right next to Happy Valley, right? So we have these fanatical Happy Valley moms that like love us and are so excited for us to be here. And then we have the other folks who are like, you know, why this is bullshit. Like this, you know, like <laughs> organic's not real. That's a ploy by the government. It's the governor Brown is making this shit up. I'm not yeah. kidding. Like we have no. that, that disparity of customers. Yeah, I believe it. I mean, I told you I grew up in the area. I know how it is. <laughs> so you should do a collaborative pot sauce. <laughs> Yes. I know we should <laughs> here's I mean it is it has been really cool to be on the other side of the aisle right to like to be on the other side of the like to to be bringing in products from people I know right and seeing mm-hmm. how people respond to them it's been super interesting in fact I do want to carry your hot sauces here and I have been meaning to reach out to you so we should make that happen <laughs> cool we'll connect after I think it would yeah. be fun for sure um, we, we, uh, need to take a quick break. I forgot okay. to pause us. <laughs> so we'll take a break and we'll be right back and we'll hear more about their wonderful products. Oregon State University's College of Agricultural Sciences and the Food Innovation Center are proud sponsors of the Meaningful Marketplace. Committed to serving all Oregonians with the mission to advance the science that lives at the crossroads of conservation and production. We are inspired by the creativity of food innovation new economic opportunities, and new experiences, because food brings people together. I want to ask a little bit more about the lavender. 
So you know that lavender only has a certain number of years that it grows, right? You mean lavender plants? Yeah. Uh, kind of. They have a seven-year lifespan. So, as I said, I'm not a very good farmer. <laughs> do you do you have the lavender just specifically for the bees because you do the honey, or or do you sell, uh, I, or do you sell no, the lavender? I'm, I'm yeah, I'm a, I'm harvesting it and drying it. Um, but yeah. I, my intentions were good. <laughs> so <laughs> I have a lot that's growing successfully, thank God. But then I had planted, like, honestly, I had planted over a thousand plants. I joined the Oregon Lavender Association. I went to all their meetings. I met the different farmers. I researched what kind of lavender to plant. I bought it. I planted it all according to spec. And then one day we live on this, have you, I don't know if you guys have been to my house. Did you come to the potluck? I wasn't no. able to, sorry. No. Okay. Anyway, so there, we have these windstorms. And uh, after I planted a thousand lavender plants by hand, a windstorm came along and blew them all out of the ground. It picked up the <laughs> <laughs> and flipped them all across the field. Like tumbleweed. <laughs> yeah. What a nightmare. <laughs> I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah, yeah. So I did it again. Same thing happened second time. And then I was just like crying. And then uh, Jen replanted them. Anyway, so let's just say only 300 have survived. But they are beautiful. And they this is a, uh, this is our second year. So the first year was not a good heart. It was, uh, they were too small, you know. So the second year is a much better harvest. And, uh, and it's a pretty easy plant to grow, to be honest with you. It doesn't take a lot of irrigation or it doesn't take any pesticides. Um, yeah. I do weed um, by hand, but that's about it. Yeah, that's cool. And it smells so good. Yeah. You should make lavender syrup. Have you thought about doing that? We make lavender lemonade at the shop. Oh, nice. I, I wanted to um, just bring us back to the cafe a little bit. And can you talk about the kinds of things that you serve just so people can go visit? First of all, we need to tell people where it is and then what kinds of things you have there. Yeah. So it's my time. Is it my time to uh, brag about my wonderful wife? Yes, totally. Jen Please Johnson. do. <laughs> okay. So uh, Jen Johnson has been chefing for uh, 30 years. She went to the culinary Academy and the Culinary Institute in San Francisco and straight out of call or straight out of gain her degree. She walked over to Chez Panias in Berkeley and asked for a job and uh, she got one and she worked there at Chez Panias with Alice Waters for the next 10 years. Um, yeah. As well as some of the most amazing, incredible chefs today. Like there's just such a, an incredible family there at Chez and all of the chefs that have come out of there are do incredible, amazing things Anyway, so she chefed at Shea for 10 years, and then she um, got recruited to be the executive chef for Ann and Gordon Getty. Uh, so she served the family for 16 years. Um, did Get all of their The lunch. Getty Museum people? Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, so uh, J. Paul Getty's oldest son, Gordon Getty, and his wife, Ann. Um, so she served them for 16 years. And did their like lunch and dinner and did all their special events and got to meet a bunch of really cool people and even got a chef for President Obama came a couple times and then he asked her to guest chef at the White House. 
So she's an amazing chef. So she is a big deal, <laughs> everybody. She's and you can go deal. eat her food very close by. In I had in Damascus <laughs> and it's so good. I my favorite thing that I got when we ate there is the tomato soup, which I'm not yeah. sure if you always have, but it's yeah. so good. It is the best tomato soup that I have ever had in my life. And you can get it right there in Damascus. So yeah. instead of going to the Dairy Queen for yep. a chocolate and vanilla yes. twist, it's right I across should... the street. You what? should go, you should go to a boring life cafe instead of the Dairy Queen, please, everybody. Yes. Yes. Oh. Actually, we, have, we have ice cream from Ruby Jewel. Nice. So that's one of your alumni, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And they and she was a guest on the show too. So our listeners yep. should know Super about cool. it. Yeah. Yeah. So we we source our ingredients oh, as hyper locally as possible. So we get our lettuce from Farm Punks. They were just on your show, right, Quinn? Yes. We I get their CSA. I love them yeah. so much. I'm you know who else lettuce. is in Damascus is Cy Kane of Straightaway Cocktails. He lives in Damascus. Did you know that? No. Yeah, I didn't know that either. Totally, yeah, he's there, and you should, you should, yeah, check him out. Yeah, yeah and so is um, what's his name from uh, Cajun, um, Cajun Life. Oh, Chris. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Chris is here in Damascus with his family. Yeah. Um. So anyway, so we sourced, and then we sourced all of our meats from uh, Nature's Old Time Meats. She's amazing. You guys should totally have her on your show. She, oh yeah, okay. we'll make a note. A full-time attorney. She has seven kids. And What's she her name? raises Tanya Huertas. Okay. And she uh, raises pasture-raised pork, uh, uh, cow, and chickens. Cool. So we, yeah, we sell her meat here and we use her meat. She's amazing. Um, anyway, so we're you know, hyper-locally sourcing. We have the kombucha from Four Hearts, uh, also local. They are from Boring. Um, two women-led. Also, anyway, and, and so it goes on and on and on. So we have sandwiches, soup, salad. Um, then we have dinners. We have chicken pot pies, mac and cheese. Uh, we have all kinds of baked goods that we make on a daily basis. So we do donuts and muffins and cinnamon rolls. Um, we do roasted chicken. So we have a, a full lunch and dinner menu. And um, some of it's gluten-free. No, so it's all gluten-free. It's all gluten-free. Yeah. And it's the so The chicken good. pot pies are gluten-free. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everything's gluten-free. Everything. 100%, 100% celiac safe. Yeah, and that's... So when I ordered that stuff that you guys delivered, my my neighbor, our really good friends, are gluten-free. And she has such a hard time, you know, finding things or finding things that she likes. And I got the donuts. But then now she gets stuff... For, I don't know if she goes to the shop or if she orders it, but she was like so thankful to be turned onto it because she says everything that you make is so great. And for people that really are celiac, you know, you want to find a place that is you know, all the way and you feel comfortable and safe going there. And so you, yeah. you ladies are providing that, which is so awesome. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And then we do, we do a lot of sugar-free things too. Like I use natural sweeteners or monk fruit. So I use monk fruit a lot in baking. Um, and we do vegan options or dairy-free and we're super happy to accommodate. If any, if, if somebody comes in and is like, I want one sugar-free donut or whatever, like I'm, I feel like, I am willing to do whatever the community wants because uh, I know how hard it is for I'm sugar free and gluten free. Um, so we're really trying to like make a place where people can come and get exactly where they where they want what they want. Yeah. Um, and it's been a really cool experience, you guys. Like we already have a bunch of regulars. They're really really into it. 
Um, and they're really um, excited just, yeah, just to have some options, I guess. How did you decide to be sugar-free? Me personally? Yeah. Oh, well, I've been sugar-free for like 14 years. Mm. Um, yeah. So it's much better for my health. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really not that hard once, you know. I contemplate it all the time and then I eat a cookie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm serious. It's hard. If I'm already gluten-free and I'm like, I think I should be sugar-free. It's freeing. And I feel like my taste, it's really interesting, right? Because I'm sugar-free and gluten-free and Jen's is amazing chef, right? So like when we got together, she was so upset because she couldn't make me anything because I wouldn't eat any of it. <laughs> it's like totally uh, ironic. Um, but I think that being sugar-free really increases my palate. It's much more sensitive to sweetness, um, you know, especially from like fruit and things like that. I love it. It hasn't been hard. Huh. I'm going to try it. Maybe I'm going to. I, I want to talk a little bit about manufacturing and distribution. So sure. um, you're, you are manufacturing at the shop, um, all of the products that go out. And then how do you, um, how do you distribute? We currently self-manufacture, although our strategy is to um, move to a co-manufacturing environment once we have the volume to support that. As I keep stressing over and over and over again, right? Like uh, with Hip Check Farms, it was very, very expensive product to manufacture. And our margin was very low. Um, our gross margin, right? And, uh, and so with A Boring Life, I'm hyper-focused on uh, fiscal sustainability and breaking even. Um, another thing about Hip Check Farms, we never, we never made a profit, Right. So like, that's shocking to think about, like we made millions of dollars in revenues and we never made a profit. Right. So one of the, I'm super hyper-focused on that. So right now we can, we, our volume isn't that high. We can self-produce and then we'll move it in stages. Uh, so like we have folks that could start doing our packaging. Right. So we can move it in phases um, and ultimately move into a co-pack environment through for distribution. We have, uh, we're mostly self-distributing. Um, we, of course, we use Beeline and um, uh, uh, what's the market of choice one Mojo. Uh, we use pod foods uh, and then, and now we're distributing through DPI. And you just started setting that up um, when you went to the fancy food show, right? Sarah and I saw you there this yes. January. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. They just, uh, Erica came by and liked the products and, uh, you know, and it was on from there. And they actually were very, um, I didn't usually how it works with distribution is you had to, you know, uh, get together a bunch of accounts Mm -hmm. you know, that want the product and then the distributor will bring you on based on the demand. Um, in the case of DPI, she brought us in without the demand. So um, she felt really strongly about the honey line. Uh, so there's been a, like I said, during COVID, a lot of the buyers weren't taking meetings, mm -hmm. um, but now we're back on track of really trying to get our products in front of, we have a strategy that DPI have, and I have created together uh, so we're going after some specific customers that we think would be really, it would be really successful in. That's great. And that's exciting. Um, 
I wanted to talk a little bit about the honey products that you do because um, you mentioned them for a second, but I really want you to explain them so people can understand because they could they could probably order them now from you or start to get them in stores, but they're so beautiful. So I wanted you to explain what they look like and what's in the honeys. Sure. So they are currently available in new seasons and market of choice. Select new seasons and market of choice actually. And (laughs) Chuck's Chuck's also has them. Um, So the honey, it's raw honey, which means it hasn't been heat treated or filtered. Um, And it is from our farm and surrounding farms. So it's local. And we add, so we have three flavors of the honey. Um, I think you can think of it more as a spread or a appetizer. It's kind of hard to describe it a little bit, but anyway, so there's a lavender honey with almonds. So there's, so it's honey with almonds and lavender in it. And then there's the boring bees, which has all kinds of dried fruits and nuts in it. So it has figs and apricots and blueberries, walnuts, pecans, cashews, almonds. Uh, I think it even has pepitas in it. Um, so it's, it's uh, really beautiful when spread over cheese or put on, um, oatmeal or, uh, yogurt, you can use it in a variety of different, um, ways. And then the last one is a hot honey, uh, and that has chilies and walnuts in it. So I was looking at your price, uh, for four ounces, it's $26.99. So that means a pound of your product is 107 and 96 cents. So are you looking on our website? Yeah. Are you looking at the uh, four ounce four, yeah, CBD four ounce. honey or the regular honey? Maybe it was the CBD one. It is. Yeah, it's the, the CBD. CBD is more expensive. Yeah. Yeah, that's the way I think it is with a lot of the CBD products, especially if you're sourcing um, organic. I mean, it's it's expensive for the oil that you're using. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the honey, the non CBD products, so the regular honey products retail at about $7, seven, mm-hmm. $8. Oh, and those I are in seven ounce. Maybe you should have a regular product that sells for $26.99 for four ounces without CBD in it. Yeah. Are you telling her she needs to raise her prices, Sarah? Yeah. Let's put gold in there. Yeah. (laughs) Sarah Sarah is really good about having her makers that she talks to charge what they're worth. So I think one of the very first meetings that I had with Sarah, she convinced me to charge what I thought was an obscene amount of money. And our hot sauce has always been the most expensive hot sauce on the market. Because, And it's really because Sarah sat down with me to run the numbers of what I was paying for the organic produce that we were buying. So it's like people will understand and they will pay more as long as you're telling them why it's more expensive. And that was you know 10 years ago. And she was totally right. I think if I would have gone with the prices that I was setting, because I was like, I just can't charge people that much money, but I was paying so much money for my ingredients. Ingredients, you know, and so if I wouldn't have had that conversation with her, I don't know that my business would still exist because I would have just been bleeding money, you know. Why? Why do you think that is? Why do you think that we don't charge enough? I mean, I, I, I agree. I've done it in the past, but, mm-hmm. and I see other makers do it over and over yeah. and over again, and I think it's a, um, I think in particular women do it. Yeah, I think it's true. I, I don't know if it's. I mean, I think a lot of us makers don't have a a lot of money. I mean, we're spending all of our money on our product, you know? So it's like, if we, if we don't have an extra $20 to buy 
one item, then it's hard for us to do it. But I also think it's like you have to value what you're doing and why you're doing it. So you need somebody to be like your hype person, like Sarah, to be like, no, what you're doing is worth it. And if you want to survive, you need to do it. But I, but not everybody has that. Sarah, you need to go around and hype everybody up to, char- <laughs> yes. to, charge, to charge with their worth and make them know that they're valuable because that is yeah. what you do. And it's so necessary to all of us women makers out there. Yeah, I mean, it's a girl thing for sure. I don't know why we undervalue ourselves. I think we were trained that way from when we were small. Yeah. I think so too. Well, we need to get over it and charge and charge <laughs> charge what well, we need to charge to have our business survive. Also, yeah, and then also like that's it's clearly an unsustainable model, like you said, right? Yeah. So when, when you scale, then you're totally doubly screwed, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Because then you really can't make it. But then when it comes to a capital raise and value, self value and self worth, that's a whole nother fascinating. Um, pickle that most women I see who are trying to raise capital are in, right? Of like having to get the like all everything it takes to go sit down in front of a VC and say, this is how much money I want. And this is the reason why you should invest in me. Right. Mm -hmm. Like that takes so much uh confidence, right? Because also, and then also you're gonna get told no. Right. So so 99% of the time, it only takes one, but still 99% of the time you're gonna be told, nope not worth it or, you know, not, doesn't fit my whatever investment parameters. Yeah. And it goes on from there. Right. Yeah. I think then when we had, um, Heidi from Heidi Ho on a while ago, she also said that, you know, she had done kind of the same thing that you did with the chicken nugget business where she stayed on to work and then raised all this money and then realized that she was spending most of her time like looking at spreadsheets and having men tell her what to do because they had given her money. And she was just like, I, this isn't making me happy. I don't want to do it. So, you know, she figured out a different way to do it. But I think sometimes that's hard too to do. I love being a CEO. Like I yeah. love the, I love the running and the strategy of the business. I love the fiscal responsibility. Like I love running numbers. I love overseeing operations and building a team and having values in which the company is based upon. Like all of that I like, and mm-hmm. I like raising money and I'm good at it, but also simultaneously, like it is a real, um, it's tough, man. It's really tough. Mm-hmm. Right. So if we back it down to like the farmer's market where like, you know, there's a woman making her homemade jams. Right. And she's not, doesn't feel the self, whatever it is, doesn't have the confidence to say, no, this is actually cost $10. Mm-hmm. Right. So like when that scales and they're up asking a VC for money, that VC is going to completely take advantage. Right. Like there's some, I don't know. I could go on about this forever. I have a lot of thoughts <laughs> about capital well, and access to capital. We're um, pretty, we're almost out of time. And oh, okay. I just have a, a final question, which would be, uh, do you have any advice for aspiring food entrepreneurs? Ooh, that's a good question. Yeah. Ask for help. Ask for help. There's, I mean, I cold called everyone I could think of. I literally Googled rich lesbians and then called them. Like <laughs> I, when I was raising capital, I did. Yeah. And, that's, and I ended up raising money that way. I called, I cold called 
uh, major food brands and ask them for help. So like there's a huge web and um, support system of ways to get through this together. I think we're much stronger together. I think that we, there's an incredible food economy and system here and community that I've just started dipping my toe into. Um, but for, you know, I would say, don't take no for an answer. Don't let anybody knock you down. Just keep following your dream no matter what and ask for help because there's a lot of help available. I love that. I think that's, that's great advice. advice for people. Yeah. Well, one final thing, Serafina, we want to send people directly to you to buy things. So where do we send them? Uh, boringlife.com. Perfect. Come live a boring, boring life's a good life. <laughs> Everyone order their products, support these wonderful women and um, enjoy their amazing products. Thanks for yes. coming on the show, Serafina. Thanks nice for to see you today. Thanks for all you're doing for the community. Yeah. <laughs> Our pleasure. Thank you. Bye. Marketed Choice is Oregon's largest independent family-owned grocery store with 10 stores in Oregon. It's all about choice. We focus on having a wide selection of the finest and freshest conventional, natural, organic, local, and health-conscious products. We have more than 1,300 teammates, including real, authentic chefs, bakers, butchers, cheesemongers, florists, and more. We all strive to create an authentic, relaxing, and enjoying shopping experience with our customers and truly care about the communities where our teammates and our customers live and work. To find the market of choice nearest you, Visit our website at www.marketofchoice.com. At Market of Choice, we buy local, so you can too. We record Missoni and Marshall every Friday. Listen on radiostartupnadionetwork.com or tune in later on your favorite podcast platforms such as iTunes or Stitcher. Thank you to our audio engineer, Lon, and our production assistant, Chelsea. If you want to be a guest on the show, submit those at Masonian Marshall on Instagram, and we will be back next week. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Bye for now. Bye. Committed to serving Oregonians with the mission of advancing science that lives at the crossroads of conservation and production. Oregon State University's College of Agricultural Sciences and the Food Innovation Center are inspired by the creativity of new food development. We strive to find new flavors, new economic opportunities, new experiences, and honor diversity. We are proud sponsors of the Meaningful Marketplace because good food brings people together. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen. Learn. Launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.